Hey, welcome to the Living the Dream podcast. This is your host, Timmy Douglas, and the goal of this podcast is to create a community that inspires action, accountability, celebrates progress, and helps people make the right connections to take that next step towards their dreams and goals. If you're looking for any one-on-one coaching to pinpoint your purpose and start taking steps in that direction, make sure to contact me on my website, workwithtimmydouglas.com, or on social media. On that note, let's get into the show. All right, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Living the Dream podcast. Today on the show, we have Josh Smith, and we're going to get to hear a little bit more about him, his dreams, his goals, and how we can help. So, Josh, how are you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for coming on the show, and we like to jump right in. So if you could start with telling us a little bit more about yourself and what you like to do for fun, that'd be great. Uh, Yeah, well, I'm pretty boring. (laughs) I like to read. Um, I do like comics. Uh, I'm a huge Batman fan, but uh, as far as like me, I'm just a regular person. Uh, I swear, my wife and I are huge nerds. Uh, not like in a weird way, but just uh, we're both pretty pretty quiet, stay at home folk. Uh, been married for 13 years, three kids. So if we get any spare time, usually we want to be quiet. And uh, so yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much us in a nutshell. And, uh, you know, we live in a small town, and there's not much to do. And so, um, when we get free time, usually we like to go to parks, walks, stuff like that. Just enjoy nature. I don't know. It just kind of the help kind of connects with what's real because so much of what you and I do and other people do, you know, we're on phones all the time, or on on Zoom calls, or stuff like that, or social media so it's it's good to kind of get away from that not that it's anything sometimes it's good to disconnect from it yeah absolutely no i think this disconnecting like just putting it all off for a consistent amount of time every week is ideal and i know ariana huffington who runs like thrive it's like the huffington post she runs the huffington post uh, she had like burnout and knew that she just needed to cut off everything after like 5 p.m. because she like passed out from t- too much stress one day. So you're right. That is important to just stay connected with nature. Tell us a bit more about what you do and what gets you up and keeps you going every day. A little bit about your motivation. Uh, well, what gets me up is coffee. I mean, literally, I'm a huge coffee person, but, um, more seriously, I'm a pastor full time. So I serve a small church, which is the average size church in the US, um, which averages about 50 to 70 people day. And so a lot of what I do is like a social good. I mean, I don't know. Some people might not consider it that more, but it's a social public service that I provide. I'm helpful. And uh, so I spend a lot of time just talking to people and building relationships with people, letting letting them know they matter. Um, and I, I feel like my job has become more important. Not that it wasn't before, but in light of the pandemic, so so isolated and disconnected. And even like kind of made to feel like a machine in some ways because they're just kind of pumping out their, their daily grind, maybe at home or, um, you know, a lot of people have told me that the company was like, well, you know, you can just take your computer home and work at home, and then but there's no 
my work life and personal life. So it's all kind of just blurring together. So a lot of what I do just practically by, you know, teaching stuff like that is you try to help people understand their own values and work outside of their identity and work. And so, uh, I mean, that's different for every person. Just to listen to their stories. I mean, a lot of what I do is friendship and trying to make friends with people that some are easy, some are not so easy. And so, uh, I mean, it's, it's a weird job. And I'm very upfront about that. It's a strange job. It really is. Because, I mean, people will come to me with their deepest, like, deepest, darkest secrets. You know, some people tell me everything. I, I don't know. I don't know what, why, but they just do. Um, and people look for help. And sometimes people think like I have some magical power that they don't have something. But no, I'm just a normal person. And I do that. I also, I'm a researcher. So writing, I'm in the process of writing one book that's finished. And we kind of edited now and then starting another book uh, so I write research on AI technology theology and philosophy so I kind of combine all those together and, and that's pretty much it besides you know being a dad and taking that very seriously and spending a lot of time with my kids so this job kind of allows me to have a lot of flexibility in my schedule so yeah, it, it's strange, but it's good in that way. So, yeah, we're just trying to, to build a life and you know, maybe hopefully get some money for the kids to, to do something with their life, whether that's just for them in the future. Uh, just try to do what everybody else is trying to do and uh, survive and, and do better than them. That's it. Yeah, no, I feel that. I feel that. All right, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Living the Dream podcast. Today on the show, we have Josh Smith, and we're going to get to hear a little bit more about him, his goals, his dreams, and how we can help. Josh, how you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing great. <laughs> and guys, just for reference, this is actually our second recording because the audio was messed up. It sounds so much better, so I'm glad we made the adjustment. Um, Josh, happy to have you on, man. Why don't we start with hearing a little bit more about you, what you like to do for uh, fun and work? Yeah, uh, well, I live in Mississippi and uh, married three kids. And um, well, there's not much to do here, but um, we like to read. I'm a huge uh, Batman fan. You can't really see behind me, but there's all kinds of Batman stuff. And um, so I always like comics. But um, outside of reading and stuff like that, we, we like to go to parks and walks, stuff like that. We're, we're actually, we're going today to one of our favorite parks. And um, yeah, man, just enjoy being outside and disconnecting from all the, the social digital technologies that we have. And um, although I do love technology, uh, that's a lot of my research and, and reading is about that, but uh, it's, it's good to, to also take a break from that. So, um, and then for work, you know, I'm a pastor and what that means uh, in a nutshell is um, I, I try to help provide a, a social good by helping people make friends that um, 
might feel isolated or disenfranchised for whatever reason, um, helping people, providing services, just different things like that. And um, yeah, man, I, I, I enjoy it. It's strange, but I, I do enjoy it. And um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, it's different, but uh, you, you see the social good of it, especially like after COVID or when we're still in COVID, but uh, during the pandemic and stuff, and um, I got to spend a lot of time with people on the phone and FaceTime, stuff like that. And people that were really isolated and uh, I kind of kind of saw more of the significance of, of what I'm doing here and, and why we are here. So yeah, um, that's, that's kind of the, the short uh, of what we do and um, who we are here and just trying to, to raise a family. I love it. There we go. There we go. And so you pastor full time. You also do some stuff with writing. Uh, what gets you up and gets you going every day? Yeah, well, um, we usually get up pretty early. Our kids get up very early, like four, between 530 and 6. And so first thing we do every morning is make coffee. And um, coffee literally is like life. And so we, we make coffee and then uh, just start the day, man. I, I'm, a, I'm an early person. I like to get up early and, and start my day and um, do a lot of stuff between 7 and, and 12. And then more flexible throughout the day. So I, I try to do all my um, heavy tasks, you know, that's going to require a lot of brain power first thing in the morning where all your neurons are fresh. So yeah, that, that's what gets me going, man. Just trying to get to the, get to the lunchtime and then I can kind of relax and, and do other things. Yeah, for sure, man. I love that. I love that. And uh, tell us a little bit more about your dreams and your goals. Uh, well, I mean, dreams are weird. Like, what do you want to be? Because I'm already an adult. So it's like, um, but very like, young one though. you're a very young adult. Yeah. 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 Um, so I'm 33 and my goal is like for the last year, like I wanted to, to finish a PhD and I finished that when I was 32. Um, so like big goals, that's been a huge goal for me for a long time is to, to get to that point, you know, undergrad, grad school, um, been leveling work to get into a PhD program. And then in the PhD program, it took four years to, to finish that process. And so that's, that was a huge goal of mine. And then once I crossed that threshold, it's like, okay, now what? But as I'm kind of developing as a scholar and, and pastor, like that was a, a very small dream, I realize now. And so now my dream is much broader and I'm trying to build connections with other communities of uh, other scholars. So a lot of my work revolves around in the theological side is around technology, um, robots, AI, and, and how faith kind of speaks into those areas and, and why that matters. And so um, started some different initiatives to kind of bring scholars in together and there's some other things on the horizon I can't talk about yet. Um, that's not public, but you know, now my dream is is trying to to do that and and help people have conversations about technology and faith and why that's so important for us today. And trying to help even people in in my settings in the local church to understand why we need to be concerned, why we need to take proactive measures um, towards helping 
understand what the ethics of technology is and are. And so, uh, and even as a Southerner, like what are the, the racial issues at hand here uh, as we've learned more and more about the embedded bias in, in AI and, and of course robots. So yeah, I mean, the, the dreams have like grown a lot and become much more loftier. Um, so I don't know where all that is going. I just know uh, I've gotten on the, the train, so to speak, and I'm, I'm riding and trying to make friends and connections wherever I can and um, trying to have very diverse groups of people conversate about these issues. And, and for me, what I'm finding is um, that faith, you know, religion, if you want to call it that, is, has a lot to do with artificial intelligence and you know kind of the dreams behind it in general it's it's a very lofty thing and it has a lot of uh, theological themes embedded into it and so yeah it's it started to make sense why i did my dissertation on that which i had no clue that i was gonna start you know trying to solve this problem or you know dive into other problems with it but yeah, I mean, what started as a very small dream that was very myopic and, and narrow with finishing the PhD became this massive lofty endeavor to, to bridge um, different fields, different disciplines together to have conversations about ethics. And so, yeah, that's my dream right now. I don't know if that's achievable or if that's um, uh, going to end well, but that's, that's where I'm headed. Dude. That is awesome. So really bridging those fields of like AI tech with more like faith based kind of theology and having them meet at the ethical dilemmas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, take us a little bit more into kind of how you found that they're intertwined, just the top one or two ways. Yeah, I think the biggest way um, <clears throat> is in the, in the, question of what it means to be human like when I was studying that and you know because a lot of times we'll use person and human synonymously um, and so a lot of my research is about legal rights and legal theory uh, and how that kind of connects because theology for the longest time was the queen of the sciences so to speak so like during the med medieval ages and stuff like that like theology philosophy law, all the things, mathematics, it's all intertwined together. And so the reason why people are doing scientific research is it's driven by their faith in God. Now, we don't hear much about that, but that's, that's what it was. So all these guys coming up, uh, guys like Aquinas, and even, even going way back to his, uh, you know, his idol, Aristotle, like God, now it wasn't like, the God of the Bible, but there was a God in their mind that, you know, put all these things together, all, you know, logic, mathematics, all that stuff is, is built on this idea that there is order in the universe. And so that's driving a lot of research in the medieval ages, which leads to the scientific revolution, uh, later revolutions. And so it's all built upon this premise of faith, faith in something, right? And so whether you believe in evolutionary biology or whatever it is you you know you have to have faith at some level and so I started unpacking that more and, and kind of diving into it as I studied philosophy of science and other things and it became very strange to me that that wasn't more um, like people weren't more open about it like 
you know, it's like, this is science is empirical. It's, you know, reasonable. It's these things, but it's like, you don't have any faith in, in what you believe about these theories. And I'm like, no, we don't. And so I started to kind of get at the dogma, but then I found as I was studying legal theory and rights that people also have very religious beliefs about that. Like, you know, we are born with these certain rights and we are, you know, distinct from animals. And, but then I was like, well, you know, the, um, the writers of the constitution believe that as well, so to speak, but then they also built this entire country off the backs of slaves. You know, it's like, you can say that in theory and say that you believe that, but then undergirding what you actually do in your practical faith, so to speak, says something totally different. And, and so I started to find those points of connections and that really the discussion about AI and robotics, about what it's going to do for us and how it's going to solve these issues with medical issues or economic issues. I'm like, that's, those are theological ideas about, you know, a savior really is what it is. And so we, we kind of displaced the idea of a, a mystical invisible God, or, you know, even Jesus, uh, if you want to, you know, talk about Jesus, uh, a lot of people don't, but it's like, you know, we, we kind of detach from that and then attach it to artificial intelligence or robotics. Now, a lot of people have lost their faith in it. And I think that's realistic, right? It's, it's not, it's not ever going to be a savior, but it's also not at the other end of the spectrum where it's like doom and gloom, Terminator, iRobot type scenarios either. And so what I started to see was like, there's two, like, almost religious camps that people sit in. And so there's one side where it's all doom and gloom Terminator and the other side where it's just utopia savior. And it's going to fix all these issues in society, poverty, you know, medical issues. And I was like, it's, there's gotta be a middle ground to this. And, um, and actually I think, you know, like the book, like Ecclesiastes and stuff like that talks about the, the vanity of life and, you know, there's nothing new under the sun and, and all these things that we're trying to do with, you know, extend our life and, and make life easier through technology. That's a really old conversation. There's nothing new about it. Right. And so while the technology changes, these conversations, you can find them um, in ancient Greece. You can find them in Judaism. You can find them. I mean, anywhere you look, they may not use the word robot because that word doesn't show up to the 1920s. They may not use artificial intelligence because that word doesn't show up too much later uh, in the 1950s, but they, they have these concepts and ideas. And so a lot of what I'm doing is say, hey, you, you think this is a new idea. It's not. Um, you think you found something radically new about what it means to be human. You probably haven't. Um, and not that the Bible or theology solves all these issues. It doesn't. But that it gives us some practical wisdom about how, about how to approach this humbly. And there are unintended consequences for creating certain technology that we have no idea what they will be. And so we, we need to have as many conversations as possible. We need to, to be open about it and not say it is going to fix every issue or it's going to destroy us completely. I think both of those narratives are, are harmful because they shut down dialogue. And so even in rights debates and stuff like that, you, you automatically see where someone's religious faith is, you know, quote unquote, because you ask them, okay, can a robot be a human? 
can a robot? And people will tell you, no, like, absolutely not. Well, then why is that? You know, why? What, what are the distinguishing characteristics that make us different? You know, and, and even in our different philosophies that we have in modernity, people will say that basically the world is built like a machine and that we are an extension of that. And so it, it just, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't, you know, it's not logically consistent in a lot of ways. Um, and so I, I'm not saying that I'm fixing those issues, but, you know, just being a good old philosopher and theologian, just pointing out issues, <laughs> not that I'm fixing them or anything, but just saying, hey, have you thought about this? Or, um, you know, in my study of whatever culture for the last 10,000 years, whatever you want to go with, but lots, lots of history in the Bible um, from the ancient Near East to the Greco-Roman world, right? So that's a lot of literature. It's a lot of anthropology and study of human nature where, you know, technically, if you look at AI and stuff, it's, it's only, the literature only goes back to like the 1940s. So that's, that's not a lot of time to be thinking about what it means to be human. Where we have guys like, you know, African scholars like Augustine and others, they've been thinking about this for thousands of years, um, technically, not literally them, but, you know, their writings and stuff. I mean, it's, it's old, man. I mean, we, it's, it's old wisdom and they've, they've been looking at these questions for a long time. And I think we need to listen to them and, and, and hear from them and then speak into, to modern issues. I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> no, dude, that was great. I loved it. Um, <laughs> it was a little over my head. I won't lie. Okay, sorry, sorry. No, no, you're good. You're good. I'm just trying to figure out which piece I want to hone in on. So you kind of made the, you brought up the question of whether AI can be human. You want to yeah. elaborate on that a bit more and maybe on some of the conversations about aspects of being human versus aspects of not being human and where there's gray. Yeah, well, I think... <clears throat> humanness and personhood are kind of concepts that we define now i'm not saying that a human is undefinable as far as like we we know when we see a human right for the most part um and biologically it is a human in its dna so i mean there, there's no debating that you know a, a child born is a human right that's not what i'm saying but as far as like, if we tried to like boil down in essence, what a human is, it's really hard to do. And so in the history of thought here, that's a little summary, is that we, we've tried to pinpoint in a couple of different areas. So it's, it's either purely rational, like we are a rational linguistic being. So you, we could say that being human is, you know, we are superior intellectually. Okay, well then that's a problem because not all humans have the same intellectual abilities. In fact, some people are intellectually disabled. And, and so do we want to like lessen that person, that human person, because they're not, their IQ is really low or, you know, because they have a traumatic brain injury or they were born um, infirm or whatever it is. Like we don't want to lessen that person, but at the same time, you know, we consider clinical death brain dead. And so that reveals something about what we value about the human person. Okay. Um, and so I challenge that. I don't, I don't think it's only solely in the rationale on uh, the reason, which has been historically why, where the difference has been pointed at for humans and animals. Um, 
and so some people have said the soul right or well, what is that you know murky notion of the soul you, you know well i mean there there's there's a lot of technical stuff behind that i don't want to get into uh, just because it'll bore your listeners to death but I mean, basically the soul is what I believe animates the body and, and they're kind of intertwined together. Okay. And so people say, well, animals don't have a soul. Well, I mean, how do you prove that? How do you, if you know, we're looking at it scientifically, how do you prove that there's no soul in that body or what is the soul? And we don't know. And so uh, people disregarded that argument and say, well, maybe it's about pain and um, well, what is pain? <laughs> it's like, it's also one of those imaginary things too. Like it's real, but it's just sea fires firing and, um, you know, pain is really hard to, to pin down because there's emotional pain, there's chronic pain, there's acute pain. You know, so like what pain are we, we talking about? And, and so this goes back to the abortion argument. This goes back to all, all types of stuff. Um, and I don't think that's a good argument either um, and because uh, like an octopus is is smarter than you and I in some regards, right? Like there's animals have different sets of intelligence, different sets of, of pains that they can feel. So it becomes really murky, right? And so likewise with robotics and, and AI, we can't measure intelligence in a, in a empirical way, right? We can't measure pain. Uh, we have no clue what the soul is um, empirically. So all those questions, I think, show us that there's more to what it means to be human, what it means to be a person than we've traditionally wanted to allow room for. And so all that I'm saying and others is that we need to make as much room as possible for um, new life and new entities, even if they're not human, that doesn't mean that we should... Um, just do whatever we want with them, right? And so even if we have like an AI that um, take like Sophia, like Sophia is just a, a robot that has an advanced AI, like she's not human, okay? Sure, she's not. And we shouldn't treat her like a human, absolutely. But that doesn't mean that we should just treat her however we want to, right? We, we still would say that it's not okay just to, to go up to Sophia and beat her over the head, right? Like that's, that's not right. Or, you know, if it was a child like robot, would we say it's okay to just, you know, throw it off a roof, you know, or run over it with a car or, or beat it and abuse it. And the reason why we would say that that's a problem because of what it reflects about us and how we use this technology. And, and I would argue uh, from a Christian theological perspective, it's, it's deforming to us because of how we're supposed to steward things and, and lead things to flourishing. And, and so if I just only use a piece of technology, and so it doesn't have to be a robot or AI at all, like even, even with a Roomba or something like that, it, it's not a good ethical practice to, to destroy and to um, misuse technology or resources that we have, right? That just doesn't matter what it is. Um, and so I'll kind of extend that argument to, to robotics and AI as well. Um, it, it says something about us, I think, too, that we're even making this technology. And so, you know, that's, that's a question we need to ask. Like, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be a person? And from the Christian theological perspective, it kind of goes back to the Imago Dei. And I'm not, and a lot of people will say that, oh, you know, because we're made in the image of God. Okay, well. What does that mean? Like, is that 
you know, it kind of goes back to those arguments. Is it intelligence? Is it um, because we have emotions? Is it because we feel pain? Is it what, what, what is the defining characteristic here that makes us distinct from say animals or, or other beings? I don't, we don't get an answer, right? We just, it's just kind of assumed like that we know what a human is and that we know what an animal is. Okay, so that's fine. I think that's fine. And, and I don't think we're gonna get clear, distinct categories other than the DNA is different. But even with DNA, right, we, we share characteristics with, uh, you know, plants and different animals. And so I, I don't like that argument either because there's some, some seriously racial issues with that that have, have come up in history. And um, I, I don't like that argument at all. But um, so I wouldn't say that we evolved from like apes or whatever. I think we're distinct in our, in our, our nature in, but I don't think we should use that as an argument to say, I am, I am the superior being. I can do whatever I want with uh, animals or the environment, because guess what? We need animals in the environment to live and to flourish. So we, we need to take care of it. Um, so that doesn't, none of those questions are going to be answered, I believe. And so why do we think that it's going to be different with AI and, and robotics that are, are driven by AI. I don't, I, I don't think it will be either. And so we just need to be very careful about how we treat these entities. Um, I mean, what if they eventually do have emotional lives and they do feel pain? And um, you say, well, why would people make something like that? Well, they are making stuff like that. And, and a machine can feel pain technically. You know, like I said, it's, it's, it's a programmable thing. And it may not be the same way that we feel pain, um, it's not going to, to think like us. It's not going to desire the things we desire and dream about what we dream about. But it will have its own set of dreams, right? It'll have its own set of desires. And, you know, who are we to say, you know, that's, that's less than, than us. And I even find some very problematic arguments um, tied to uh, the pro-slavery um, literature like that they're making that for for robots they should just be slaves and, and one scholar straight out says she says robots should be slaves and I'm like how could you even say that like that, that's just to me that's just so I don't know I would say ignorant but I understand what she's saying but it's so insensitive to so all the questions of history of philosophy and the great questions of life and, you know, and the problems of slavery. And, and here we are, uh, and there've been many black scholars who have come out and said that there are direct connections to um, even like the sci-fi depiction of uh, robots and the black body and image. Um, and so guys like Gregory Hampton and Philip Butler and, and others who really kind of pointed out there's this kind of embedded, even in the coding language, right? It's a master slave language. Um, there's, there's these issues of, of race. And so, you know, every technology that we create, it comes with our own problems that are derived from human problems. And so, you know, we, we need to think about that and, and what it means, you know, if I, if I make a slave, right? If I make something to serve me, which is what robot means, it means forced labor uh, or forced, you know, servant. And so if I make that just for that reason, like, what does that say about me as a human? 
And so that, that's a question we need to ask. And, and people get really offended when I talk about that. But um, I'm, I didn't make that up. I'm not, you know, that's just embedded in the literature. It's embedded in, you know, I mean, think about Rosie from the Jetsons. I mean, she's straight up a mammy. That's, that's what she is, right? And it's, it's just been there all along. And we, we've not dealt with it. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's a lot more <laughs> to that, uh, Timothy, that you probably didn't want to get into. But uh, there's some big questions in, in this field. Oh, man, I love that. And I love that you pointed out the fact that our actions say things about us. And even the fact that somebody would say, okay, AI robots should just be a slave. It's like they were saying the same thing about black people way back in yeah. the day. You know, and yeah. it's like, okay, clearly that human aspect of us has not changed. And we know that that aspect going untamed leads to really dark things. And if we create robots with that intent for us, it's like, then that there's, there's a doomsday argument. I think that's where that comes from. But it's like, <laughs> um, yeah, man, it's just, we got to check our morals and ourselves. And I like that you brought that up. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, if there were one or two people that you could meet right now and they would help you take the next step towards really bridging these different disciplines to have these conversations about ethics, who would they be and how would they do it? Oh, man. Oh, it's such a big question, Tim. <laughs> oh, man. Um, there's, a, there's a couple people that I have met that have helped me a lot. Um, do you mean like that have passed away? um let's go people who are like let's do both people who have passed away and then people who are here and now because people who passed away maybe there are people who are here and now that studied them and can connect with you on those points so oh man um that's the weird thing about this field like it's so it's so young relatively speaking um i don't know man um so hard i would i would love to have aristotle to kind of dialogue about some of these issues and, and just get his perspective just on biological science in general and, and looking at some of these entities because a lot of our, our categories in the modern sciences are built off his um, distinctions and categories. But at the same time, like everybody hates Aristotle now because of um, he, he puts hard binaries on everything so like male and female and you can see why that in modern culture would be an issue and so there's this massive shift away from Aristotle in the middle ages or after the middle ages that people are like we got to get away from these hard binaries and even before the whole transgender thing like there was there was a problem with that they felt like this needs to be moved away from and so guys like Descartes and others and they just push and revolted so i'd love to have aristotle here just to get his perspective of like you know hold up first of all you guys are using all my categories and all of my you know structures and hierarchies in your biological sciences but then at the same time you're rejecting them so how does that work and it's it's like aristotle's having his revenge so to speak and he's he's used in so many different areas but then he's also harshly rejected in a lot of this stuff. And, and I think, you know, he would have a lot of things that I wouldn't agree with. And um, as you know, the Greek and Romans were, were very much, um, well, except Plato, they're very pro-slave. 
And um, so I, I don't know, I, we would disagree about some things, but I would also like to get his perspective on artificial intelligence and, and like the distinction between robot and human animal. Um, so I think that would be put in his hierarchy as well. Um, and, and that it's there in some sense, but I would like to have him spell it out a bit more. Um, and then modern day, there, there are a couple, there's just so many. Um, there, there's so many female scholars in the areas of robotics that have really changed the trajectory of this field. And so when you get into the literature and you see like there's a very white uh, male vision of what robotics and AI would be. And it's always like, it solves all the problems and it's very utopian. And then the way that a lot of the female scholars have framed it is it's more of a, how do we care for these entities? How do we care for the environment? How do we care for um, the stuff not like just straight up the pro-slave argument that a lot of white males have like really argued for. They wouldn't say it like that, but that's what they're arguing for. And so these female perspectives have really changed it. And so uh, women like Noreen Hurstfield, um, I would love to, to sit down with her and maybe in the future I will get to. Um, Kate Darling is a big one uh, at MIT. Uh, she's like super famous now, so it's really hard to get in contact with her. And uh, uh, there's just so many. Enforced uh, is a big one. Just really hard, hard people to get in contact with, <laughs> you know, but there's so much. And she's worked at MIT as well. And um, she's a theologian and computer scientist. So it's like kind of, uh, I don't know. If she do you want to call this but like the, the the grandmother of of what I'm doing and in the studies so I mean there's there's lots of them but um I think the last are, person's name you said M Forest yeah That's or it's like it's not forest it's like forced like it's oh you know, okay. the R and the E is is backwards so sorry my my uh, my draw gets in the way sometimes uh but yeah it's uh there's so many great ones in the fields um, and, and even more like there's, there's been more room made for those voices um, at MIT and other places. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of people that I'm fans of. And then a lot of people that I know uh, because it is a small community that have um, come alongside me and helped me out. People like David Gunkel, um, who's written on robot rights, um, Josh Gellers, uh, Mark Kuckelberg, um, Sven Neholm. I mean, there's just tons and tons of, of people in this community, but it's still relatively small, right? And so we kind of know each other and uh, we have different perspectives on it, but yeah, it's been really neat. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Um, well, let's jump into our thriving three now. And I really want to ask you one question from this and it's what's your favorite book, movie, or podcast? Pick one. Oh, my God. Oh man. Um, asking for somebody's favorite book is like asking for their favorite child. <laughs> all right. All right. Here we go. What is, <laughs> the, what is the book that you have gifted the most? Maybe that's a better question. Oh, okay. So like literary book that I've gifted the most would be um, Camus book, The Plague. <laughs> so, oddly, like it's a book about this massive plague that hits a small town and it's about death and it's about um, like reconciling with death. And it's a very dark book, but oddly enough, I've given that to a lot of people 
prior to the pandemic. So I don't know if I, I would do that anymore, but uh, it's it's definitely one of my favorite. And like Camus, um, you know, The Stranger, if you, you probably read that in high school and other little stories. I don't know. I just like his, his writing. And um, there's other Mary Shelley's Frankenstein would be a close second because it's uh, I mean, not it's nothing like the movies. Right. I mean, the movie kind of picks up like the very last end of the story. Um, and it's essentially about this creature who's left alone to try to figure out what it means to be uh, a person and want, desires community and affection. And so it grows up like watching this community and uh, out in the woods. And then it becomes irritated um, and isolated and wants a partner. So there's a lot to do with AI and robotics in Mary Shelley's work. Um, and so that's a, that's a very close second for me. But the one that I've gifted the most is the plague. What was the second question? Uh, it was just a book you've gifted the most. And okay, yeah, okay. Um, okay, what's the most important one or two things that everyday people can do to really help you bridge that gap between the disciplines? Ooh, yes. Yeah, uh, the biggest thing is um, education. So I try to tell people, you know, seeing that this is a real issue for today and not for 50 years from now, like people talk about, you know, 2080 or 2050. I'm like, no, this is, these are issues like today. Like, you know, bias in algorithms is, you know, determining who gets a loan, who gets a job, who gets fired, who gets hired. I mean, these are big issues um, that we're not seeing behind all your data being stolen you know, uh, I mean, like privacy invasion, like these are issues you should care about today. Um, and even though it's not like Big Brother 1984 type stuff yet, you know, it does matter. Like, say, for example, like somebody, like a bad actor, get all your information and that could compile all the information that they wanted to about us. And then, you know, say they wanted to exterminate uh, a certain set of people. Like that's literally what Nazi Germany did when they got these consensus records was they knew where all the Jews were. So, I mean, they had all the stuff laid out. And so when you think about privacy issues, I'm, I'm really surprised more people aren't concerned about that. If you just read history a little bit and see how, you know, ledgers and, and consensus forms, they are more powerful than you think. And so clicking, I agree. And all these other, um, you know, legal documents that we consign into um, that we don't ever think about, it matters. And so I, I would say education is the biggest thing right now for this conversation to go forward is that, you know, people read about it, even if it's in blogs and podcasts, like just, just get information about what's really out there. And um, even just with automation, like not even with AI and robotics, like it's estimated by 2030, almost 40% of jobs in the U.S. are going to be automated. And that, that's a big deal, man. Like even just truck drivers alone, that, that's over a million jobs. And that is one of the top jobs in the U.S. And so we're talking about massive disruptions to the economy, to, to the everyday worker. Um, and so whatever your field is, whatever your occupation is, I mean, it's in danger. Of being automated and so you should you should care about this and how tech companies are are leveraging their their power to kind of press into our income and our livelihood and um and if we don't do anything if we don't educate ourselves if we don't vote the right way if we don't um 
put the right people in positions of power. Uh, it's it's not going to go well for us, I, I think. And so um, read, read, read as much as you can. Talk about it. Um, don't don't put this conversation off until 2030 when it's going to really hit. Um, but yeah, that's that's the biggest thing for me. That that's that's it right there. There we go. Awesome. Educate yourself, guys. You heard them. Hmm. Well, I got two more questions for you. First, do you have a podcast? And if not, why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do have one. Um, it's called The Dolores Project. And uh, like Dolores from Westworld. And the podcast is all about um, talking to other scholars in the fields of AI and robotics and computer science about the issues of, of robotics and, um, you know, the ethical issues really. So it's really about AI ethics. <clears throat> and so if you're not familiar with these fields or the conversations that we've had today, um, I would encourage you to go check out. I have like 10 or 11 episodes out right now. And um, I'm, I'm working on a new season. So hopefully next year, um, have some new scholars. So, I mean, we talk about all these issues that we talked about today. And, and a lot more. And so, yeah, I'll just keep going with that project. There's hopefully I'll end up having about 40 to 50 interviews <clears throat> in that project that will really get all sides of the spectrum because there's many different perspectives. But yeah, uh, the Dolores Project, I do that. Um, and then I'm pretty active on Twitter um, at Joshua K. Smith underscore, Joshua K. underscore Smith. Um, and then I also have a website that I, I don't do as much there, but um, the, the podcast is linked there and some of my other episodes, uh, podcasts that I've done will be, be linked there. So if you want different perspectives on, on these conversations, uh, it's all there for your enjoyment. Yeah, for sure. And you, you said on your website, what was that again? JoshuaKSmith.org. There we go. Yeah. Sounds good. Our last question requires a bit of pretext. Uh, so you know how there are people on the planet who have a really fixed mindset. They're not willing to accept help. They're not willing to accept change. Sometimes they live their whole life like that. And unfortunately, they'll die like that sometimes. Other times, they'll make the switch at some point in their life to more of a growth mindset, willing to accept help and willing to accept change. In your opinion, what is the catalyst that causes that switch? <laughs> uh, well, uh, I mean, from my experience, like people go through an identity crisis uh, at different points in their life. So when you graduate high school, uh, when you go to college, when you graduate college and you get your first job, um, then when you retire, there's a major shift. And so those are all points of contact for major ideological shifts in a person's thought patterns and their behavior. So a lot of people think sometimes like where I go to college is super important and it is. But what's more important is who is your roommate in college? Because that has a bigger impact on you than <clears throat> the college professor, so to speak. So a lot of, a lot of people will complain to me, like, my kid went to college and they, you know, they changed and they were I'm like, well, who is their roommate? You know, like that, that had a major influence on it. It wasn't the, the philosophy class that they took or it wasn't this or that. I mean, it's, it's their peers and that, that pressure that we feel. So there's a book called Nudge, if you're interested in that question. It's it's about the 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 social changing of of humans and how we are nudged and pushed in certain directions, whether it be through food, 
sexuality or um, economics and marketing. So it's all about that question. And, and one of the big ones they say is, is whoever your um, peers are in college. And then I would say also suffering. So when a person goes through a major uh, event, it doesn't have to be like they lost a spouse or lost a child, whatever a major event of suffering is for that person, they tend to open up like their, their, the structures in their brain tend to open up for change. And so a lot of times that's why you'll see uh, different religious conversions in those moments. Uh, that's why there's a lot of conversions on a deathbed, uh, because it has opened up your mind to the possibilities, right? And so it can also close them. So <clears throat> it could do the inverse, right? You could, you could be a religious person. And, you know, I've seen this happen and lose a spouse and kids and then completely walk away. So uh, it just depends on the person, but it, it all matters. And so I think those are the two biggest components to um, when we when you're open to change. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. There we go. Well, Josh, is there anything else you want to chat about before we sign off? No, man, I think um, I think we've covered a lot, man. And I appreciate the conversation. Yeah, of course. I appreciate you educating me on uh, <laughs> <laughs> and ethics. I always, uh, I took a couple philosophy classes in college and always loved thinking about it. So thank you. Yeah, man. For the conversation. Yeah, man. Awesome. Well, Josh, thanks for coming on the show. If you guys are listening to this and you were interested in these topics, make sure to go listen to Josh's podcast as well as check out his website. The Dolores Project is the podcast. JoshuaKSmith.org is the website. You can also follow him on Twitter. All of that will be in the show notes. And yeah, just make sure to continue to connect him to people who are interested in this and put people onto his content so that they can educate themselves. And if you know, tell me if I'm getting their names wrong, Lorene Hertzfield? Noreen. Noreen. Yeah. Noreen Hertzfield, Kate Darling, make those introductions, please. As we always ask in this podcast, the one in three people you know need to hear this message. Shoot us a five-star review on iTunes and... We're out. Yeah. Guys, thanks for listening. Make sure to reach out to our guests and help them accomplish their dreams and goals if you resonated with them. If you're looking for any intentional masterminds or one-on-one -on -one coaching to accomplish your dreams and goals, make sure to check out the website, workwithtimmydouglas.com, and contact me either there or on social media. That's all I got. Have a blessed day. <laughs>